Every month, we offer exciting new webinars for our community. Topics include how to use retirement accounts to buy real estate overseas, how to get a second passport in Latin America, why you should sell your stock portfolio and move your money offshore, how to buy beachfront rental properties in Brazil for less than $100,000, or apartments in Paraguay for less than $60,000. If you want to join us for free for these presentations with live Q&A, insider secrets, and exclusive opportunities with my professional network of experts, then go to expatmoney.com forward slash webinars. That's expatmoney.com forward slash webinars to register for free upcoming presentations. expatmoney.com forward slash webinars. We all dream of seeing the world, but the realities of living somewhere outside your place of birth can be daunting to say the least. Welcome to the Expat Money Show, helping you make the most out of your overseas career through conversations with successful expats on investing, entrepreneurship, self-improvement, and continual education, all while sharpening your financial acumen. Now, please welcome your host with over 20 years of overseas experience, Mikkel Thorup. Hello all, Miguel here. Before we get going today, I want to put out a quick ask. If you have a friend or family member who you think would be interested in working remotely, moving overseas, becoming an expat, or learning about digital nomadism, then I want you to share this podcast with them. We are creating a movement, a worldwide community of people who can live anywhere in the world for more freedom and prosperity. People who are excited to explore this world and connect with people and communities abroad. Being an expat is a very special thing. Not always the easiest, but always rewarding. So my goal is to inspire millions to get out there and explore the world and enrich their lives in the process. But I need your help to do it. So please take 30 seconds to share this interview with someone you think needs to hear this message. They will be grateful you did. So thank you so much in supporting this mission. I appreciate you listening to my show and joining us in our journey. Okay, let's get on to today's interview. Welcome, welcome, welcome. My name is Mikhail Thorpe, and this is the Expat Money Show. Today's guest is the co-host of the Workationing podcast, a digital nomad and the CEO of The Content Factory, a digital PR agency that specializes in SEO and social media marketing. The Content Factory is one of the top SEO agencies in the English-speaking world and has been featured in Forbes, Adweek, Inc., Entrepreneur, and many other media outlets for their digital marketing expertise and work culture. Thrive named her limit-breaking female founder, and NBC News referred to her as the CEO who takes job perks to the max. Due to the fact that all of TCF's employees work from home or wherever there's Wi-Fi. Please welcome to the show, Carrie DePhillips. Carrie, how are you? I'm doing so well. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. I'm really excited about today's conversation. But before we get going, maybe take a minute and kind of walk us through your backstory. How did you get into workationing and being a digital nomad and all of this type of cool things? Sure. So I started the Content Factory. I founded it in 2010. And I came from the advertising world and I had some freelance clients on the side that at some point I packaged together and was like, I'm going to make a run at this and create my own agency. So I did that in 2010. And uh, immediately I started looking for how can I cut costs? How can I uh, give myself freedom to hire people from all over the world if necessary? But 
to be able to go where the talent is and then also not have the overhead of a fancy office and you know all the furniture that needs to go in it and so for me the answer was pretty simple well you don't have to have an office so ever since then uh with the exception of like i had an office that i would go to for a while but it was just for myself you know uh we've never had an office TCF now has 13 employees in seven different states. We work with contractors from all around the world. And we've been going strong for, well, we turned 10 last year. And well, congratulations. Thanks. So, it, you know, I had always worked from home, essentially, but I have family all over and I would travel mostly within the US. But then I started like taking some of my employees on what I called workations. And one time we all went to Puerto Rico and we knocked out some, some work projects at a different time. We went to uh, Playa del Carmen in Mexico. And uh, one of my employees was just like, you know, Carrie, why can't it always be like this? And I was like, you know, I've been thinking about that too. And I'd always called my working vacations workations. And I decided in 2017, I was going to put all of my stuff into a 10 by 10 storage shed and uh, pack up and travel the world. And I tried to do so as intentionally as possible, meaning that at each location, I would spend anywhere from four to six weeks and I would knock out a professional goal. And I would also knock at least one item off of my bucket list. So over the course of that, I've done everything from cage dive with sharks to fly planes to uh, play in poker tournaments. And I was able to do that while also running, running my agency. And I think so much of it is just like, how do you set yourself up for freedom? And then once you have that freedom, work doesn't seem like such a chore because that's the thing. That's the thing that's giving you the ability to be wherever you want, whenever you want to be there. Well, that makes perfect sense. I guess first, I, I am a little bit curious about the bucket list. What were the things and, and maybe how did you decide on the things that you wanted to do? Because this sounds very purposeful. Like you didn't just come up with all of this stuff out of the blue. To be able to do some of these things, you have to really think things through. Because I think so many people all the time, they just let life get away from them. They're not purposeful about the things that they do. It's really interesting that you say that because uh, Kelly Chase, who's the co-host of the Workationing podcast with me, and she's my travel adventure buddy, we have one thing in common, and that our parents, in her case, it was her dad, and in my case, it was my mom, uh, they both died when we were very young of cancer, and in my case, I was 22. So 22, your mom dies, and my mom was 42. <laughs> it was very young. And she thought that she was going to have all kinds of time to be able to do all of these things. And the reality of the situation, and this is something that Kelly and I really bonded over as friends and as adventure partners, that life is finite. You don't know how much time you have. And like you cannot bank on the fact that you're going to be able to retire at 50 60, whatever, like, and that's an early retirement. So let's say that you really map that all out. You're leaving so many things to chance there. And so like my life philosophy and the, the philosophy behind vacationing and why we intentionally, we talk a lot about an intentional living on the podcast. Uh, we have several episodes about it. Like, how do you do that? How do you make decisions now 
that will enable you, uh, you know, six weeks, six months, six years down the road to be doing what you want and having fulfilling experiences. Because so many people don't make it to the point where they're actually able to do that. And with the internet and especially like looking at the bright side of COVID, if there is such a thing, it's really pushed so many companies into being flexible about remote work because they had to be flexible real fast. And they invested so many billions of dollars to get their systems straight and, you know, have the tech that would enable people to work from home. Well, they've already invested that money, these companies. So I think that there's a lot of opportunities for people post-COVID to maintain, or if they haven't traditionally been in a remote work environment, to really seize those opportunities and then free themselves up to do whatever they want. Yeah, I understand that completely. You know, I never really understood it when people were like, yeah, when I retire, I'm going to travel the world. I'm going to do all these things you want. And like exactly what you said. I mean, we really have no idea how much time we have on planet Earth. Now, I like to think like I'm, a, I'm quite a healthy guy and I like to exercise and I eat right and I take care of myself. And I like to think I'll live to be 120 years old or 130 years old. But literally, if I walked outside and got hit by a bus tomorrow, I know I probably wouldn't have a lot of thoughts because I'd be hit by a bus. But I mean, at least I've done the things that I wanted to do in my life. I didn't waste my time. I I started traveling early and I knew I loved traveling and I dedicated so much of my time to it. Finding the things that actually matter to you and not putting them off and not thinking, oh, one day, one day, one day, I think is really important. It's something that everybody really needs to understand. And I don't know who said the quote, but it's one that I've lived by. And it's why put off to tomorrow what you can do today. And I mean, I always try to keep that in mind. Like, why, why push it off tomorrow? Just get it done today. Any type of work, any type of business, anything I wanted to do, anything I needed to experience or try or experiment with, or I mean, why put it off? Just take the opportunity right now today. Yeah, and it's, it's a conscious decision. It's a series of conscious decisions that we all make all the time, some big, some small. But like, so if you want to become a digital nomad, maybe don't renew your lease. Maybe negotiate with your landlord. See if you can get month to month. If you want to become a digital nomad, maybe really rethink adopting that dog or cat. Big time. <laughs> or ferret. You know, like wh whatever you're thinking of adopting, maybe rethink that because, uh, you know, in a year or two, that's going to be a barrier. That's going to become an obstacle that then you're going to have to remove or get around in one way or another. And it's going to be a lot more work. So like you can make that conscious decision to not get that cat or to not renew that lease or to, you know, start applying for remote jobs today. Well, and I see it all the time. People continue to buy stuff and then they complain that they don't have enough money to do the traveling that they want to do. And it's like, well, I mean, you're always going to have to have some type of sacrifice. I mean, like, okay, yes, I want to have it all and I want everybody to have it all and I, I believe in abundance I mean but there is going to be some type of a give and take and every single thing that you buy to put in your house is going to be another anchor that's going to keep you to that place now if your ultimate goal is to travel the world and to explore and to be an expat or a digital nomad probably don't want or need all of that stuff 
And it turns out when you live overseas, a lot of that stuff is not important anyways. Nobody cares about it. I mean, we've been talking a lot lately on the show about keeping up with the Joneses. And I've really made the point that in most places in the world, it just doesn't exist like it does in North America. Well, and also, I hate to be like, so I saw a meme. You're, you're like, I remember this profound quote. And I'm like, well, I saw a meme in a Facebook group. <laughs> but uh, the meme <laughs> in the Facebook group, it, it said repeatedly, like, choose your heart. Staying married is hard. Getting divorced is hard. Choose your heart. And then there were a variety of other examples, you know, like being obese is hard. Being fit is hard. Choose your heart. Choose the heart. You know, like it's going to be hard no matter what. It's either going to be hard because you don't have the money because you bought too much shit, or it's going to be hard because you don't have the latest iPhone. But is it really that hard? Um, I'm big into minimalism, putting all of my stuff into the 10 by 10 storage shed really like reinforced that A, that that was even possible because at one point I owned over a hundred pairs of shoes. I was that lady. And then when I traveled the world on vacationing for two, I lived out for two years into just something that I could easily carry around. And I was so much happier. It's kind of great to know what you have and to really like the pieces that you have instead of you know having a bunch of stuff that you kind of feel lukewarm about. But when I went back to that 10 by 10 storage shed, because I uh, expatted out to uh, Amsterdam and that's my home base now, I didn't even want most of the stuff that was in that, like I forgot about it. Like these things that I thought were so precious that I had to put them in storage. I couldn't get rid of it, couldn't possibly, right? Like at the end, I came back with uh, some dresses that were in storage and my art and like family photos and like some jewelry that my grandma gave me. Like that, that essentially was a life that I found out that I couldn't live without. And that all fit into like one large suitcase. I know exactly what you're talking about. I traveled the world for years and years and years and took everything that I had collected and I sent it back to my father's house. And then when I left the Middle East and I was moving to Panama, we went to my dad's house for a couple of weeks to, to visit him. And he was actually moving house, first time in 35 years or something like that. And he had all these boxes of my stuff, like junk, that I had been sending back or I'd been dropping off or he had taken care of for me during these years. And I started going through it and I was like, like clothes from 20 years ago, like jackets and, and just random things that I thought were somehow important. I did not even remember about them. I swear to God, half went to donation and some just like went right in the garbage. And I think out of all of it, I mean, I maybe kept two boxes out of 20 years worth of stuff, just some mementos from actual traveling things that I had, you know, knickknacks and things I had bought. But the majority of this, 95% of it all just got donated to charity. I just didn't need it anymore. It's just, it's so weird. I mean, but why do you think that is? Why do you think that is? Do you think that that is... People's need to hold on to something for the past, or do you think that, like, why do you think you and I do that? Do that type of thing that we we hold on to it, but then in the end we don't need it at all. Well, it's kind of like a finish everything that's on your plate kind of situation for me. Like, I bought this, I spent money on it. At some point, I was so enamored that I was like, I'm going to because money is time. For like, essentially, money energy is time. condensed. Yeah. So like I'm spending my energy on like, 
how many clothes still had the tags on them? I don't even want to talk about it, you know? And it's like, it's, it's disgusting, honestly. And was it on sale? It's still wasted money and just like, again, wasted energy. But like going back to, not to be like back to my mom's death, but to me, the tragedy of my mom's death wasn't just that she wasn't here. Like the, the bigger tragedy for me was the life unlived. And so that's, that's another key principle that like you're sacrificing for these things that you're buying and you're sacrificing for the things that you're holding on to. You need to have space to hold all of these things that are they so dear and precious to you? You know, like how much of it would you even really miss? Um, the things that are in my house now, I, I would absolutely miss. But like having a more curated life, there's, there's nothing wrong with that. I think that there's a lot of benefit to that. And if you look at the best stores that you go into, they're highly curated. Well, because I, I wonder sometimes if we hold on to these types of things because people, because we don't want to admit that we made a mistake by spending time. And as you said, energy, all of these types of things. So if you hold on to it, if you file it away somewhere, then you don't really have to admit to yourself that it was a bad decision. Because I think a lot of times people don't really want to face the facts that they make bad decisions or they were emotional or, you know, they got sucked in by some type of marketing campaign where they didn't really need it. But if they can hold on to it, then they don't have to kind of face that, you know, that wasted time, that wasted energy, which goes back to our conversation about what do people really want to do? And I believe a lot of people really want to travel. Like this is their number one passion in their life. They want to go out there and they want to experience and they want to explore. So it, coming to grips with those types of things, I think can be difficult sometimes. Well, my favorite logical fallacy, and there are several, <laughs> but my personal favorite is the sunk cost fallacy. Oh man, I've just blown so much time on the sunk cost fallacy. Just like, well, I already, I already spent money on this. You know, now, like now I, it has to be near to me because, and dear to my heart, because I spent money on this and it's not just on purchases that the sunk, uh, sunk cost fallacy comes into play. Do you know what I mean? Like, did you go to law school, but you really hate being a lawyer? There are other things that you can do. Go become a legal copywriter or something, but like, don't sit in your misery because you believe that like you have to, for some reason whether it's because you spent too much time or too much money. Yeah, throwing good money after bad. I've seen that in business decisions all the time. You know, you put in a certain amount of money to work on a project, you know, maybe thousands of dollars, and it's a bad idea. It was a bad idea at the beginning, but you didn't see it, but you continue to invest in it or continue to hire people to do the project. And it's like, you're just throwing good money after bad. Same thing with investments. I've seen people losing money. I've lost money in investments picking a company or picking an equity or something like this. And it's doing poorly, it's doing poorly, it's doing poorly. And you're holding on because you don't want to admit to yourself it was a bad decision. It's it's hard. It, it, the logical fallacies will really come and like snatch you at any moment. And so you have to stay vigilant about it. And like, it, it goes for employees too. Like sometimes you just gotta let employees go. It sucks. I used to stress puke before I would fire somebody, even like if they really had it coming, you know, but it was just like, uh, how did I 
ultimately the fault lies with me because it was me who brought this person into the team. And so it was me who asked to remove them. But like admission of like, I really screwed up is one thing. And probably some of your listeners are thinking like of one or two things. They're like, yeah, the sunk cost fallacy really got me there. Whatnot, like understanding that you've made a mistake or you're sitting in the suck is half of the like solution. The other half is actually making the decision to do something about it and taking those actionable steps. And so many people know that they have a problem. So many people know that they need to stop spending so that they can save up to, you know, fuel their travel habit or any number of things, but like the behavior doesn't stop. So the situation never changes. Agreed. Agreed. So let's go back a little bit. You were talking before about some of the the things that were on the bucket list. Let's break those down because we've kind of gone in one direction, but I want to bring things full circle and talk about some of the amazing and cool stuff that you've done and how you were purposeful and deciding that was the thing that you wanted to do. Well, we, we kind of flew by the seat of our pants at the Workation podcast in the sense that like when our first location was Puerto Rico, because I love Puerto Rico. I've spent a lot of time on that island and it seemed like a familiar place to start a very weird travel adventure. Uh, so now we know where we are. Well, what's cool to do in Puerto Rico? I happen to know of a couple of things. And so in Puerto Rico, we went swimming in the bioluminescent bay, La Proguera. And there are, I think, five of the seven uh, bioluminescent bays in the world are located in Puerto Rico. One of them you can swim in. And you've got to wait until it's like a no moon situation. And But you're, it was the most magical experience I've ever had in nature. You're swimming at night. And it's like stars are dripping off of your skin. When you pull your hand out of the water, you get goggles and you like go through and because it's the movement of the water, it disturbs the phytoplankton and it makes them light up. So it's nothing's really happening until you're swimming in the water and then you're like making a big like glow angel as you swim. But then you can see the fish swimming through the water too. And you're just like, ah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. that's so wild. It is, it's so, it was, it was so insane. And the problem with these little uh, phytoplankton is they're real difficult to photograph. So if you Google image search, uh, bioluminescent bay, it's all Photoshop and lies. But the real thing is so much cooler. And it's like, you get out. You get out of the water and you're in a swimsuit and you touch your swimsuit and your swimsuit, it's like glowing like those hyper colors from the nineties. You know, <laughs> you could get your hand wet and just you had some rave or something, and then <laughs> so cool. It was it was really, really cool. Uh, and then the next stop was Colombia. So uh Medellin, Colombia, we did all kinds of things, played Tejo. uh, won a Tejo tournament. Uh Tejo is the national sport of Colombia which is like you throw these heavy metal discs at these little packets full of gunpowder. It's kind of like okay. if you're from the U.S., but like explosive. Yeah. <laughs> As you do. As Absolutely. you do. And then there is a paintball at Pablo Escobar's place for that one. Because you can do that too. You can take a helicopter there and it's like not even that expensive. But mostly we just ate our way through Colombia because the food was so good. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Um, the coffee, the food, the wine, I mean, everything in Colombia is 
Awesome. Uh, Montreal. We went to we went to a lot of casinos in Montreal. I like started playing poker again in Montreal, and then we entered a poker tournament, and that was fun. Uh, we didn't place, but we didn't lose. I guess we lost, but we didn't come in last. Yeah. Did you get a participation medal? No. <laughs> <laughs> no, and they wouldn't let us record at the table either. No. Understandably so. Did South Africa cage diving with great white sharks. That when you was- mentioned great white sharks last week, I was going to ask you, was it in South Africa? Because they're yeah. quite famous for that. I mean, I know a couple of other places because I'm, I'm a diver. I haven't done this dive. But yeah, what was that like? What was it like to be in a cage with great white sharks? It wasn't what I thought it was going to be. Okay. Like, when is it ever, right? Uh, we had a terrible blowout in the Uber uh, on the way there. We just barely made the boat because it would definitely leave without you. But I didn't know if we were going to have like little helmets and stuff because they have all kinds of options on the website. But apparently the, the helmet thing really scares away the sharks and it ruins everyone's photos. So you just go in in like a snorkel mask and uh, they chum the waters beforehand, but in the cage, you're in a cage on the side of the boat. And so as the boat is rocking, so were you. And as they're chumming the water, sometimes you get a mouthful of you're like, it's so gross. <laughs> <laughs> like a mouthful of fishy seawater. You have to really keep your mouth shut because like so many of us found out the hard way, but then we got to see apex predators and I was just like, who's the apex predator now? I'm here watching you, you know? It was very cool, but you have to hold your breath. So it was like, catch your breath, go, you pull yourself down on the bar. Oh, so you don't have, you don't have a tank or anything. No, because those bubbles disturb everyone's views. And the and the photos. Oh. So instead, you hold your breath. That breathing you just down. just ruins it all, eh? Yeah, it, it totally <laughs> does. Because you think you're out, but then a wave hits, and you're like, "Oh, chum fish water, gross!" <laughs> it's in my mouth. <laughs> so yeah. Okay, so the so the cage is attached to the boat, or it's hanging from the boat. Uh. I think it was attached to the boat. They don't, they okay. don't like dump you off and sink you down and at like, all. Okay, okay. You just kind of climb in and then four people at a time go in and then you just kind of reach down and pull yourself with the bars of the uh-huh, cage. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Your... So that you're now underwater. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Apparently that's oh, that the safest thing. way. <laughs> Is there anything over your head, like yeah. more cage? Yeah, so it's, um, there's like this uh, hatch thing, right? Okay. So it's it's this long, and then a quarter of it is a little hatch that you can climb down into, and then it's bars on the top, and then I think, I don't know if they shut the hinge, I was never on this side, but okay. pro tip, if you ever go cage diving with sharks, you want to be on the corner. Because okay. then you're able to see there's nobody in front of you. You get the best GoPro, you know? You yeah. got to be on the corner, though. The peripherals. Yeah. <laughs> I just, I'm trying to picture this in my head right now. So it's like cage above you, but you have no regulator. You don't have any way to breathe. So it's like if cage goes down, you're not getting a breath. Like, no, because it's the never, it, like there's, if you're standing up on it, kind of. Uh, your heads, there's always until a wave comes, you know, okay. you're, you're still, so able if to- you're tall, you're good. If you're, 
kind of vertically challenged. Yeah. I was like, (laughs) it was getting thrown around. (laughs) Poor Carrie. I know. No, people felt sorry for me too because I was like, got more fish. (laughs) Oh, no. Awful, awful, awful. It was was a killer experience. But if you're going to do that, uh, Napa Valley wishes it were Franchoic which is also in South Africa. I think it's like a 45 minute drive away, but it's South Africa's wine country. And just like I said, Napa Valley wishes. It, it was, Napa's gorgeous, but just the mountains were unlike anything I've ever seen before, just vast expanses of gorgeous terrain. Everyone's growing grapes and having wine and amazing food. The food in South Africa also, you know, incredible. The tough life, Carrie. I know. You know, the US food, like sometimes I miss Long John Silvers. Long John Silvers, really? <laughs> yeah, like you can't find <laughs> out of all the things. <laughs> like sometimes you just want a hush puppy and like some vinegary fish. But the malt vinegar, you know, like <laughs> Okay, okay. I'm picky. But so like the US has some good food, I'll give you that. <laughs> But international cuisine, ah, drop me in South Africa anytime. Yeah, I like, I'm, I'm a big foodie. My wife and I, we love to eat and we like to try new things. I mean, I'm not the most adventurous. I'm not out there in Thailand eating bugs and stuff like that. None of those things really ever excited me. You wouldn't even do it once to say you did? Um, I've never been one of those people who are like, try to, I don't know. Just doesn't really interest me, to be honest. I've eaten grasshoppers, snake, alligator. I've eaten alligator and turtle. And I remember when I was in Colombia, no, in Panama, in the Darien, we ate some type of giant rat, which was like, yeah, not like city rat, like like jungle rat. Okay, all right. Wild rat. Wild rat, exactly. (laughs) Free range, free range rat. Um. (laughs) i've ate some probably some pretty weird things but i prefer to go out there and try the food that is like the really tasty delicious food their dishes how their grandma used to make it you know you know understand the history and the culture of the cuisine i mean that's the type of stuff that i like to eat if i'm gonna eat best in What's the best dish you've ever had and where? Oh, my goodness. I have no idea. Okay, so I've traveled to Japan probably a dozen times. And in Narita, uh, outside of Tokyo, they have Narita-style sushi. And what they do is they do the same type of little piece of rice, but then the fish is like five times as long. And it's probably like seven or eight inches of a fillet of fish that goes over the top and it kind of lays on the plate on one side, then the rice, then it goes over and then lays on the plate on the other side. So you need like two or three bites. But we, I used to go to this restaurant and it was like some, I swear to God, like 85 or 90 year old Japanese master sushi chef. And he used to prepare this and I'd sit at the bar and had this, I had it a bunch of times. And I'd sit there for hours just watching him work and I'd be drinking sake, warm sake, in like uh in the middle of winter and then having sushi and that was like the best ever that was pretty rad (laughs) 
See, and your listeners are never going to know unless they get on out here. Yeah, I know. Got to travel. I mean, What's, like a California roll with cream cheese and crab sticks and avocado and 14 other things that they stuff inside. I mean, I'm sorry, guys. It's just, it's not right. Like, it's just, <laughs> it's not the same. I mean, well, Americans really know how to bastardize a food. Oh, do they ever? Yeah. <laughs> Canadians as well. I mean, we're no better. I mean, my wife is from China. And it was so funny when I took my wife to, to Canada and she wanted to have Asian food. And I was like giggling like to myself, like, I mean, Kung Pao chicken and chicken balls and sweet and sour and stuff. She's like, what the hell is this? What did, like, what did she think of General Sal? Oh my God. She had no idea. She's like, you know, and once again, like I've been to China 20, 30 times, something like that. And literally what exists in China has nothing to do with the United States and vice versa or Canada. I mean, nothing, nothing to do with one another. It's just so wild. I don't understand how this happened at all. It's it's bizarre. It's like unsolved mysteries. So continue, continue your, your journey. So you went to South Africa, you drank wine, you ate nice food, you yeah, had you know, fish so like, chum in the water with great white sharks. That was so gross. That was really gross. Uh, <laughs> Are we you went reliving to frog. it right now? Oh, here's, so we went to um, Acapulco. And some of our friends were like, why are you going to Acapulco? And we're just like the Airbnb deals are like hot fire. Looks great. You know, there's that yeah. four top <laughs> song about going loco in Acapulco. And it sounds like a swanky beach town. Nope. It's it's like <laughs> swanky's not quite the word. I've been to Acapulco. I had good fun there. Swanky would not necessarily be the word that I would use to describe it though. No. And so that began our Airbnb trouble. So we rented this. It was a it was a very, very nice place. But we got it for a month and I've got like a five-star rating on Airbnb. This is like my hundredth rental or something. And sometimes housekeeping is included. You can usually like turn that down or reduce it to once a week, but like the housekeeper would just let herself in and she started coming like every day. And we were like, well, this is, can you knock first? <laughs> like this is, it's getting kind of creepy and weird, you know? But then um, apparently the front gate was reporting every time we left and came in. And anytime that we had anybody enter the apartment, she would text us and be like, who's at the house? And I'd be like, didn't I tell you? It's none of your business. Like, get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, we should have left earlier because it, Acapulco was just like overall not agreeing with us. We ran into some water issues there. No, I swear, no, like no matter how much you try to brush your teeth with bottled water, like it gets in your eyes in the shower. How do you keep it from not? I I, I never figured out that mystery. Uh, so I was I was pretty sick in Acapulco, uh, and then we went to Las Vegas. Well, first we went to San Diego. Astroglide. Do you know what Astroglide is? No, tell me. It's the U.S.'s second most popular personal lubricant company, and they were. Oh wow! We managed PR, social media, and content for them. Uh, and so there was a pride parade that was desperately calling for our presence and handing out lube to strangers in a pride <laughs> parade. I've done that, uh, in New York, Boston and San Diego. 
you haven't lived until you've handed <laughs> strangers lube and they've been so excited to get it, you know? <laughs> so he did that. <laughs> party with the drag queens. That's always a good time. Oh, the after parties are just incredible at Pride Parades. Um, from there, we went to Las Vegas. I had a speaking engagement out there. What did we do in Vegas? Oh, we saw a Cirque du Soleil show. Oh, beautiful. Never lived Amazing. This, lived this long and hadn't seen Cirque du Soleil in person. Had to change that. I'd already gambled, but I decided to gamble some more. <laughs> you know? Was that a good decision uh, or, a, or, or bad decision? What? Was that a good decision oh, no, or a bad decision? Good. Okay. Uh, overall, overall across lifetime gambling, I'm, I'm up. Okay. So like I, I keep, I keep that tally, <laughs> but uh, that time I think I won like $300 in craps. Yay. <laughs> and the craps table in Vegas can be very fun. Um, oh, have you ever seen the movie Fandango? Fandango. No. Sounds familiar. It's Kevin Costner's okay. first starring role. And it's uh, made in the 80s, but it was set in the Vietnam era. And it's a coming of age, classic coming of age tale with a road trip with a bunch of uh, college dudes, college friends who they were all being drafted for Vietnam. And some of them wanted to go, some of them were planned to go, and some of them were skipping to Canada. Uh, and they were going to have one last road trip fandango. There's all kinds of like plots and good points in this movie, but one of them, like the whole point is, they're driving across this desert and they're trying to find their buddy Dom. They're like, we got to go pick up Dom for this last Fandango, this last party. And like, okay. So you watch the movie and then like, finally they start digging and you're like, oh no, he's dead, <laughs> you know? And no, it's a bottle of Dom Perignon that they had all buried like 10 years prior in the desert and somewhere in between uh, Los Angeles and Las Vegas in the desert, we buried our own bottle of Dom and set all kinds of intentions. Like uh, we're gonna come dig her up when we get to a million podcast downloads. And it's like, that's probably gonna happen. Uh, writing a book and getting it published would also be a go dig up Dom situation. And then like, if it gets dark, if one of us dies and the other one has to, or like, you know, <laughs> then that's the only other time. But we're hoping that it's going to be one of the first two. Yeah. And I, uh... I, I'm with you on that one. Let's yeah. let's vote for that one. Right, but we we definitely didn't bury it deep enough because you see all these like good fellas, like these crime movies, that like let's go bury body in the desert. Let me tell you how not true that that is, or if so, they must be shallow graves. Because I was digging and it was 120 degrees outside, no no cover. It was it was the hottest day in the middle of the Mojave Desert. And I'm out there with flip flops and a shovel that we just got from Home Depot trying to make it work. <laughs> and it was not like a little potting shovel or something. Like... <laughs> oh, and we're like, this is deep enough, right? And it was not deep enough. I think we got is our, it like, actually a bottle of Dom or yeah, is it in the box? Yeah. yeah, and then yeah. we like dropped a pin. Okay. That's coordinates. <laughs> Don't lose your phone. Yeah. Yeah. So we it's know next to the bush. Now. There's some sand around, and I think I saw a lizard. I'm totally going to find this again. Yeah, yeah. Like, watch out for the big snake. Oh, there was a dirty <laughs> mattress, like an abandoned mattress, <laughs> right around the corner. So just look at that. I'm sure it'll yeah, still exactly. be there. 10 years from now, definitely, <laughs> definitely. Wonderful. But during all of these adventures, 
you were working and still building your business and you still had an income coming in and everything like that. Yeah. Talk to us a little bit about that because I mean, we're having fun and we're talking about cool travel stories, but the fact that you were still earning money at the same time, I mean, that's amazing. Like that's, that's the best of both worlds. Yeah. So I have two companies that are my primary uh, revenue streams. Number one is the content factory, which is, uh, you know, the digital marketing agency. Like I said, I built that remote. So it's, we've got Slack, we've got Asana, we've got toggle and workflows for days, right? Uh, Been at this for a decade. So we've got the process pretty well hammered out that it, that really lends itself to bringing on remote workers. They just follow the steps. We've got videos recorded and ready to go in there. But like I I was still working at least 40 hours a week, you know, sometimes more, sometimes less, sometimes much more. Uh, (laughs) But when you are intentional about how you spend your time, you can do all kinds of crazy stuff. I would always book flights on like a Friday or a Thursday, like Thursday night. I would really try and like planet to where the flight time didn't really impact things or if it did that I would have wi-fi in the plane if possible sometimes that's not always possible and you can't control it but what you can control is lounge access so like making sure that I've got I think it's called last pass or lounge pass no it's not last pass lounge pass or something last pass is something else but also very good for entrepreneurs yeah I use that one too (laughs) I I use the whole suite (laughs) Uh, but that'll get you access into basically, uh, an airport lounge at almost every airport I've ever been to. And then through like American express, you can have additional benefits, like certain credit cards come with travel perks that you can take advantage of to make the airport experience a lot more pleasurable. Yeah. I have, I am a massive fan of airport lounges and if for some reason my ticket doesn't have it or my credit card doesn't have it, I will go out of pocket and pay for lounge access. It is always worthwhile. And I mean, I spend a lot of time in airplanes. I've circum- we, we calculated once, I've circumnavigated the planet more than 400 times. I spent a lot of time on airplanes. And I usually have like platinum level with the airlines. and But trying to make the experience as comfortable as possible, I mean, is always the best. I never understood people who are trying to like squish into one uncomfortable little metal chair and wait three hours for their flight instead of paying and then go to like a Starbucks or something like that to get something to eat and a coffee. And I'm like, you can get lounge access for 25 bucks or 30 bucks. They have an open bar and they have food there and you can have a coffee and you get these big comfy leather chairs and Wi-Fi that's 10 times as fast. I'd be like, I was like, totally worth the money. Just spend it, even if it's for an hour or two hours. I think so many people don't even know that airport lounges exist. I got to tell you, I was one of those people. I didn't even get a passport until I was 30. Wow, really? Yeah. No, I traveled a lot in the U.S. and I just had never done it. And then I got divorced and I was like, well, there's no time like today. <laughs> And then that kind of um, kicked off my love for international travel. And then the first time somebody took me to an airport lounge, I was like, I thought that the upper floor was mostly airport offices or something. I hear they have a hospital in here. Like, <laughs> no, airport but, lounges uh, is where it's at. Or just just buy business class tickets. I mean, people all the time think like, oh, it's it's so much more expensive. No, it's not really when you 
factor in everything, it's a great deal in most cases, especially for the longer flights or any type of night flight where you need to do something the following day. Fly business class. You get a proper night's sleep on any of the any of the wide-bodied aircraft. They should be flat beds. So now you can lay completely flat, get six hours, seven hours of sleep, and the next morning, if you have meetings or you have to work, you're actually going to be able to function. If I'm sat in economy and I'm squished up and I have to try to sleep while sitting up, I mean, I'm going to be out of commission for three days after that. My time is really valuable. I mean, I charge a lot of money for my time. So if I can't do meetings or I can't be taking care of clients during that, I'm losing way more than spending the extra few hundred dollars or even an extra thousand dollars on my flight. And then, like you were saying, add in the lounge access and then add in, you know, shortcut of lines and all of these types of things. It's like, no, just do it. It's it's well worth it. No, it's kind of like bringing a four-star hotel experience to like a traditionally crappy airport environment, I feel like, when you just upgrade. And then it it does make a huge difference in your productivity and just like feelings throughout the next several days. And a, a bad flight will like ruin your week. It's true. Le- like legit. I mean, I've had some horrendous flights where... I not only could I not sleep, but you get some type of kink. I'm even rubbing my neck right now, remembering get some type of kink in my neck or something like that. And then you can't move properly for the next couple of days. And it's like too much frustrating. Less than ideal. So what are some of the other things that have made it possible for you to work while traveling and being a digital nomad and all these types of things. And I want to maybe stay a little away from the tech side because, I mean, there's so many cool applications. I mean, we could probably talk about them all day, but but more from the strategy side or the mindset side on how you were able to accomplish these things. I just wanted it, and so I did it. Just force of will. I mean, it's what it actually looked like when I was starting the agency was I would go through Craigslist and Craigslist is good for more than used couches. Like you can find, I got some national accounts going through Craigslist, finding companies that were looking for content, SEO or social media marketing help or PR help too. That was, those are the bigger contracts. So I would apply, I think there was a 50 response limit per day that Craigslist had, which meant I was applying to 50 separate jobs a day. And I would just go through all of the major cities. I did that for like six months, but then I got so much business in that it enabled me to do things like focus on my website and my website's SEO. Uh, Now all of our clients come to us through organic traffic. Uh, That's my professional area of expertise. Uh, And the Content Factory's website has a bigger non-branded footprint But like, yeah, essentially a lot of it is grinding it out until you figure it out. And like constantly taking the next best step toward my goal eventually got me there. And then it became like, well, what's onto the next goal? What's onto the next? But like, I don't know where your listeners are in their to digital nomad journey, zero to digital nomad, we'll say. Uh, But like, there are so many different paths that you can take to get there. So my second company, I sell online courses. I've got all of this expertise. I package them into online courses, which I move through my website, through my podcast, through media appearances and affiliate programs. And affiliate programs are great on both sides, you know? But 
you don't need to start your own company. That's, it's a stressful endeavor to be a CEO, uh, to have two companies running. It, it's been a juggle, but you don't have to take that particular path. If the goal is to become a digital nomad, take any remote job you can find that pays you enough to get you there. Done. Yeah, absolutely. So like switching jobs like that, that's easier than starting a company. I think so many nomads are very like, you got to like get into the Tim Ferriss, like have a, what does he call it? The seven minute journal is one of them. Uh, like a, a muse project is what he calls it. And then, uh, you know, monetize that. And like so few people are able to do that. And a lot of people don't have the risk appetite for entrepreneurship. They don't get as much play in a lot of podcasts and how-to guides, like how to become a digital nomad. Well, just go get a remote job. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I see it all the time with professionals who are trying to figure out ways to start a business. And I'm like, you're an accountant or you're a lawyer or you're a doctor. I mean, just offer your services remotely. Try to do Zoom calls with your clients. Like you don't need to start a whole new business for it. I was just talking to a lawyer last week and he's like, oh, well, I have my practice in my town. So, I mean, I can't go out there and be an expat. I'm like, are you serious? I mean, you're a lawyer. Just offer, just do Zoom calls. And like, I, I don't know, I can't remember off the top of my head what type of lawyer he is, but I can think of probably 99 out of 100 specialities in law that you would still be able to do via phone or do via um, teleconferencing. I mean, there's... Yeah, I've never met exactly. my lawyers. And... My immigration lawyers I met. I met my immigration <laughs> attorney. Well, and then there's so many programs out <laughs> there it. like Upwork. I mean, I've spent probably hundreds of thousands of dollars hiring people on Upwork to do tasks for me. And when you were talking earlier about how stressed you got about having to fire someone, I was like, ooh, I can relate. That's why a lot of times I just use freelancers now. And if I don't like the work that's doing, actually, I don't have to fire them. I just pause their contract and just say, you know, I'll get back to you if there's more work. But everything is task-based. So I'm not hiring them on as a full-time employee. I don't have to pay Medicare or any of these types of things. I mean, they're like independent contractors. I mean, it makes it so easy. You set up an account within 10 minutes and I mean, you just get to work. And there's all levels of professionals that are on these types of sites. Like we just said, lawyers and doctors and accountants and everything like this and everything in between. So I just hired, I just hired a killer VA who specializes in systems op optimization. Systems optimization. It's a tough one to say. He's not an employee, doesn't want to be an employee. He loves being a VA. He gets paid $45 an hour, which is pretty good. You know, like there are, again, all kinds of ways that people can break into it and hiring people to handle some of these, I don't want to call them menial tasks, but remove some things off of your plate. If Is that an option? Because Upwork is an option to help you through that. I think I see, well, not I think, I know I see a lot of entrepreneurs when they're starting out just trying to do everything themselves because they don't think that they can afford to hire help when in actuality, if you hire the right help and at the right price, that frees up so much more of your time to make even more. Uh, if you're looking at becoming a digital nomad and you're worried about your virtual workload, 
there's a, an easy button for that. And it's a VA who can help you do all kinds of things. You just need to tell them. Absolutely. You can scale very fast this way. And in a case like COVID, I mean, you can descale. I don't know. <laughs> you can let people, uh, you don't have to keep renewing the contracts. So you don't have massive overheads. So you are not going to go under. Your business is not going to go under. And the same thing what we were talking about before by not having an office. I, I mean, I think about all the people who were spending you know, tens of thousands of dollars on a professional office and then ended up having to work from home for the last year anyways. I mean, I run my office out of my house. Yes, I have a dedicated space, quite a large space for my office. But I mean... Nothing changed for me during COVID in this regard. I mean, I was able to keep going to work every day. I was still wearing shorts and flip-flops. That was all exactly the same. And there was no massive overhead that was going to sink my business. I think you also had the advantage, I know I did at least, of having already been in the remote work environment for so long. So again, like, to me, 50% of effective remote work is like having detailed workflows. Uh, like detailed workflows and SOPs are just, when I started developing those, I found out that like, oh, this is why the onboarding of new people wasn't going so smoothly. And I was able to iron out all of those kinks. But I think a lot of people were kind of like sent into a, like a shock kind of, and a lot of companies were sent into a shock. And they didn't have a lot of these things because you could just go over to the cubicle next door and like walk somebody through it real quick. And in an organization, take those conversations, multiply them times 15 per year times the three employees that are having them. And that's a real big chunk of time. And I'm, I'm really hopeful that companies are also going to see the savings opportunity, uh, recruitment opportunity in keeping the majority of their workforce remote, certainly that'll open up a lot more opportunities for people looking for, you know, a traditional, traditional job in a remote environment. Some people I think don't like remote work either once they're into it. Surprisingly, some people are just like, you know, I really miss going to an office. It's the most bizarre thing I've ever heard in my entire life, but I, I have heard this as well. For me, it's, it's, it's very strange. I don't, it doesn't, resonate with my soul. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I guess at this point, everyone's had that opportunity. Do you miss going back to the office? I certainly don't. You couldn't drag me there. If my life depended on it. I have to go and present. I'm charge some extra for it. You're getting charged extra for the suit up and the, and the flights and the hotels. You know, I like Airbnbs. Me too. I'm in an Airbnb right now. We have booked this one for four months. I mean, it's nice. I mean, Airbnb and Uber are the best things to ever happen to my lifestyle. I was talking to my wife about it the other day. I was like, I mean, we had a, a doctor's appointment or something to go to. And my Portuguese is, we're in Brazil right now. My Portuguese is non-existent. And <laughs> it's just so easy. I just order an Uber from my phone, take it from my I got my Airbnb pinned on my Uber app and go to the doctors and come back. I mean, it's so simple. I try to remember 20 years ago when I started traveling and like traveling full time, I barely even remember what it was like. I think we used to have to try to call the taxi company 
and then explain and get them to deliver, like to send the taxi. And then I would have my, my book and I would have wrote out a translation of what I'm trying yeah. to do or where I'm trying to go. It's like, oh dear God, like uh, things have never been easier than they are today. That's for sure. No, I, I remember a world before MapQuest. I used to actually print out the directions once they had that. And that was in college. I'm like, mm, I'm pushing 40. So yeah, I, I don't know how far here. back your life experience goes, but mine goes to like 1983. <laughs> yeah, I was born in 83. So I think we're the, the same it's age. A great year. It is a great year. Absolutely. Travel, travel before all of these things. But yeah, Airbnb is the way to go. I mean, I stopped doing hotels now completely. For a variety of reasons. Sometimes I still like a hotel, but only for a night or two. And certainly, like, I like to do hotels by myself or with my partner, but not. Mm -hmm. The only time we do hotels is, okay, for example, we were in Costa Rica the other month. And we were out there and we were traveling all around Costa Rica. And we were at resorts and stuff. Okay, so, so I, sometimes I do resorts. But we got a hotel right at the airport because we had an early morning flight the next day. And it was just one night and we just needed a place to throw our bags down and get some sleep. And then first thing the next morning, we were we were taking the airplane. Okay, in that case, it makes sense. But if I'm going to be spending a week or two weeks and it's a city trip, I mean, it's Airbnb all the way. How was Costa Rica? Open, wide open. Wide really? Open. Yeah, wide open. Everything is closed in Amsterdam. Ah, Everything. That's the terrible. restaurant closed. You can't even eat outside. Uh, the gyms have been closed. This has been since November. Uh, we first curfew since World War II, 9 p.m. No alcohol sales past 8 p.m. And I was just like, I thought I was coming to freedom. Oh, that's freedom rough. Sucks. <laughs> yeah, no, we went to Costa Rica. I spent a couple of weeks there. We were doing boat tours and monkey tours and alligator tours and surfing. And I mean, a ton of activities. And there was tourists. And I mean, the hotel... Well, one of the resorts that I was at was full. I mean, like chocker block. Any of the premium stuff, the luxury stuff, is completely full right now. It's the the budget stuff. They're they're having trouble. There's a lot less tourists and a lot, you know, a lot less tourists who are racing to the bottom. It's the people who can really afford and can you know can travel, have money for it. But we were on tours. They were lots of people. Then we were back in Panama and Panama is open at the moment. That's where I have a house. And now we're in Brazil at the moment. And we were in Rio for a week, which was open. And now I'm in Florianopolis in the South on a little island and it's wide open. I mean, there's kids playing in soccer in the fields and there's people, there was light and fireworks last night and all the restaurants are open, the malls are open and the bars are open and everything. It's nice. That's why, that's why we're here. I mean, I didn't want to be on lockdown. So, no, we, I mean, I tried. I tried. I had a flight book to Curacao, and then they were like, no, not anymore. Shutting down everything. They actually, oh. I think they made the tourists go home. And what? I, yeah, it was like a, a new recent, this was like two weeks ago, a week ago. I'm just like, oh, I'd, I'd been banking on that. But like, again, Circling back to our earlier conversation, like you can't bank on anything because you don't know that you're going to have that future. Yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, 
when COVID came out, I stopped traveling for a while as well. I mean, there was lockdowns around the world and I just wasn't sure we wanted a lot of the hassle. I did a couple of trips. I was speaking internationally at some events and stuff like that. And then eventually I was like, okay, this is going to go on for a while. So I need to just accept it. And if I'm going to live my life, then I'm going to live it the way that I want. And that includes travel. Travel is a big, big part of it. I'm not going to just sit at home forever and just hope and pray and cross my fingers that things are going to get better and borders are going to open up. There are ways to do it. Yes, it's going to mitigate where I'm going and it's going to help direct my path. But Mexico is open. Costa Rica is open. Brazil is open. There are places that are open where you can be free and enjoy your life. And it's just about personal responsibility. If you're worried did about it, getting sick. Did you or, wear masks on the beach out there? No, no, there's no one's making you wear masks in any of these places. There are people who are wearing masks, but that's a personal choice and they can do whatever they want. I mean, if I'm going into the mall or something, I think I have to wear a mask there. But on the streets, you know, we went for a walk on the weekend down the Corniche and there was little tiendas open and we sat and had a drink on the on the beach. And I mean, no one's wearing a mask. No one's forcing you to wear a mask. No one's even looking at you funny if you're not wearing a mask. I had a couple of friends in the Virgin Islands and it was like two weeks ago and they had boated out to a private island and the Coast Guard saw them. And so they boated on after them and they were like, no beaches are open. So you can't be here. And also you have to be wearing a mask right now. Do you want a ticket? <laughs> just like, they're literally on an island by themselves. Maybe leave them alone, <laughs> you know? Yeah, well, common sense has just kind of escaped. It, it just left people. I mean, it's just disappeared. But I, I think that all of this stuff is important because it goes back to exactly what you were saying about living your life because we don't know how long we have. So if being a digital nomad, if traveling, if exploring, if being an expat, or if these are things that you want to do, then there are ways to do it. You just have to figure it out and you have to have the courage to actually make it happen. And it's not that hard. It's, it was, well, I shouldn't say that because I... I was like a panic attack patty for uh, like packing all of my stuff into the 10 by 10 storage shed was weirdly stressful. Uh, and it occupied a lot of just like, why am I so stressed about this? But like my friends and family, they didn't know anybody who had just packed up and gone digital nomad before. Like, obviously they're becoming more exposed to it as more people are starting to do it, but it's like a relatively weird thing for friends and family to hear that you're just like, all right, deuces, catch you. I don't know when I'm going to go on. One day. <laughs> yeah, someday. <laughs> Bye. That that raises some eyebrows. And it leads to questions like, are you spiraling upward? Or are you maybe spiraling downward? Like, why are you, why are you making this weird choice? And it's just like, well, because this is how I, I want to go slap my eyes on all kinds of things I haven't seen before. Like, is that such a foreign concept? but like I got a surprising amount of pushback from friends and family on it and like there is going to be that probably there is going to be like that moment of like oh am I ruining everything by putting my my life into storage for a while all of that immediately dissipated the second the plane landed in Puerto Rico and I was just like oh Oh, this is the gift that I just gave myself. The gift that I gave myself through all of those decisions that led up to this point 
you know, uh, like freeing my life of all kinds of things that were tethering me down and making it unable for me to travel. All of the things I didn't buy or the things that I sold, all of that packaged up is this gift that I have now given myself. And what do I want to do with it? Like I'm still out here. I started in 2019 full-time not living in the U.S. and I have yet to move back. I don't have any plans to. So like there is fear. There was a lot of fear for me and there was a lot of fear for Kelly and just like, what are we doing? I still want to do it. We're going to do it anyway, right? And we didn't even know how long we were going to do it. Like it turned out to be two years traveling full-time, but like we gave ourselves a, let's try it for a month. And if we don't like it, we can go back and unpack at the storage shed. So there are ways out if you decide that you don't like it. Like, I don't think that fear should stop people. I think it, fear stops a lot of people, but for this particular thing, the fear that I experienced turned out to be completely unfounded. And had I let all of that anxiety and fear get to me, I wouldn't have made that step. And had all these amazing experiences. Yeah. I mean, did you experience any kind of anxiety before you went full-time DN? You know, but to be fair, I left at 16 or 17. So I've been doing this for 21 years. So I don't really remember anything. I was just a stupid kid when I left. So, I mean, I have no idea. I mean, there's no, no separation of me without this type of lifestyle. I had no life before this. I mean, I was, like I said, just a stupid kid. So that's the best way to do it. I'm jealous. You got in all that extra time. <laughs> I've been traveling for a very long time. I mean, I was hitchhiking, hitchhiking and backpacking through Central and South America at like 19 years old. I was in North Africa in the Sahara at 19 years old. Uh, I mean, actually, I was hitchhiking and stuff probably at about 21. And then I was in the Sahara at about 19 and going to Algeria on a camel and kinds of weird stuff like this. I mean, as you do. Yeah, as like you do. Else, as you like do. How else do you get to Algeria? <laughs> <laughs> Travel and, and exploring and expat living. I mean, I, I still find it the most rewarding thing in the whole wide world. Nothing else. I mean, I, I have kids now, so I mean, that is rewarding at a whole different level in a whole different type of experience. But some of the best thing about being a father is to be able to take my kids take my daughter on trips with me. Like my kid's about five years old. She's already been to 13 countries. She speaks three languages and she's been to some countries multiple times and her friends are from all over the world. So now I get to experience things like kind of a second time, but through her eyes. So I'm living it vicariously, but by standing next to her and she gets to experience all these things, but doesn't know any difference. Like this is normal life for her being a digital nomad and being an expat. That is absolutely normal for her. So that's interesting as well. That sounds amazing. I wish that, <laughs> I wish that I had that as a kid. How, how much did it change your travel once you had your daughter? I think that's a good question because when I got married, my wife and I got married with the intention of having a family. We decided that we really both wanted to have kids and we both loved the fact that each other wanted to have a family. So we got married and then got pregnant not shortly after that. And we continued to travel like right from the very beginning. I think my daughter probably went to her first 
country. She was born in the Middle East within like three months of being born or six months of being born or something like that. And actually it was kind of neat at first because on the airlines, you don't have to pay for another ticket if the child is under two years old. So we were like, you know, we were still traveling business class and going all over the place. And now we just had a baby in tow. I don't think much really changed. Like I remember we went to Egypt and with my daughter, we went to Hong Kong and Macau. My daughter's been to China like five times or six times, something like that. And um, I wasn't going to let anything like that affect my travels, just like today with COVID. I mean, we're back out there on the road traveling right now today. It's like, okay, there was a little interim period where we, you know, started to understand and try to figure things out. But in the end, it's not going to stop me from doing what I want. I don't think anything is going to, besides you know, getting hit by that uh, that bus that we were talking about before, <laughs> you know, I'm going to go out there and I'm going to do the things that I want to do. As long as I'm not hurting or, or harming anyone else, I don't, I don't see why I shouldn't. So, so that's it. I mean, experiencing things with kids is, is amazing. And my wife has traveled a lot as well, but she's not traveled as much as I have. So maybe she's been to like 40 countries or something like that. So there's just a ton of places that I can now take her to and we can experience a second time together. So that's another one. Bringing a lot of excitement and trying to see things in a different way or we're so different when we travel to a place. Like if you go a second time, like if you go back to South Africa and try it today, you're probably gonna be in a very different headspace than you were the first time. So you're gonna see and experience things in a way that you didn't notice the first time. So every trip is gonna be meaningful. I think you'll see that. Yeah, for sure. So before we wrap up, I am very curious, like what is next on the bucket list? What are those big things that you still want to do? What gets you really excited and pumped up and, and, and the challenges that you wanna to try to overcome as a digital nomad and the workationing type of projects? Well, I am two continents away from seven. Uh, I've got to go to Australia and then just Antarctica. And so for that's the work, <laughs> for the, that's it. No, but it's actually not that hard and you can get a great group deal. So uh, the Workationing Podcast has a Facebook group and we've got like 5,000 people in it. And it's a lot of world travelers who like a lot of people are just waiting to hit Antarctica. And it's not undoable and it's not even that expensive. It's just, it, it helps to have a group of people. So I'm putting together a group of people. My aunt is very excited. Aunt Beth only needs to hit Erica. She already bought her parka. She's geeked. <laughs> Shout out to Aunt Beth. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> no, Aunt Beth is just like turnt for this trip. Uh, but I think that that's very cool to, have you been to all seven yet? I'm still waiting on Antarctica as well. My goal is to go to every country in the world. I've been working on it for 20 years and I've traveled a lot, but Antarctica is still on the list. Well, listen, I can get you on the cruise ship, buddy. <laughs> I know someone. Yeah, I know, I know a lady. <laughs> you can also Aunt Beth, Aunt Beth, can I get a ticket? <laughs> That'd be cool. I mean, we should try to figure out something. We bring all my subscribers, all your subscribers, we'll fill a boat. And we'll go do a big That would trip be amazing. Like I've already, we've already got some, people are very interested. And I think after COVID, people are going to- wear masks? 
I don't, I don't know. I haven't booked are it yet. Are the penguins going to get COVID? I don't even know if there are penguins. There are penguins in South Africa. Are there penguins in Antarctica? Yeah. Okay. Are. Well, it depends on where in Antarctica you're going to go. I but don't know. Yeah, Probably absolutely. the cool part. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Oh, listen, there's the shitty part, but we're going to go to the good one. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And the no mask, the no mask on the boat. I would yourself. very much like that. I'm I'm very mad into the mask living. I have cute ones with like sparkles and stuff on them that don't don't read as so like scary and impersonal, which is like the psychological aspect of it is like don't normalize this. I'm begging you, like everybody out there, don't normalize this. We're gonna be dealing with this for decades. I I'm I really don't. Out here, you can walk down the street without wearing a mask. Should you choose to? I choose to. I see people biking in masks and it's like the wind's blowing so hard and I I know how physically exerted I am, you know, <laughs> cycling through the streets and I'm like, I don't know how you guys are doing it. But I inside see people smart, in their cars with the windows rolled up by themselves wearing a mask. I'm like, really? Are you serious? Come on, <laughs> think this through. Even if, you know, even if we argued and said that masks do work, which I'm not saying that they do. Come on, this is insane, guys. Like in the car by yourself, exercising or out there on a beach with no one around and you're wearing a mask. Really? Like, listen, it's mask living is not, not for me. I'm certainly not wearing one while we're doing this interview. <laughs> I know, exactly. Ooh, well, could you imagine? Stand back, stand back. I might get COVID. <laughs> Through a Zoom call. <laughs> All right, Antarctica coming up. Okay, what is so it? Twenty twenty two, twenty twenty three. What are you thinking? Well, I've Pablo Neruda has said such great things about Machu Picchu, and yet I've never been there before. So those heights, I hear, are very impressive. I'd like to check those out. I might trip into an ayahuasca bush along the way. Uh, that's also bucket list. <laughs> We'll see how that goes. I hear it's a gut-wrenching experience. <laughs> and then other than that, wow, God, I think that's my main focus. I've got a bunch of business goals that I'm that I'm very like laser focused on. And that takes time and effort. And I, I know it might sound very glamorous, all of the things that, that we've done. And like it, it kind of was, kind of is. This like it is. It's a pretty glamorous lifestyle, actually. But there's a lot of hard work behind it that enables all of this activity. And so it's not like, you know, even Kim Kardashian works a lot. Billion dollar lady now, Kim Kardashian. But I don't think she has the freedom that we do. I'd pick this life uh, any day. But uh, other than that, just uh, keeping on keeping on with the TCF, the content factory. Uh, we're looking at a couple of investor proposals and we'll see what happens. Uh, I'm very excited though. And I know that no matter what, I'm going to be happy because I love what I do and I love where I am and I love the freedom that I have. And like, none of that's going away anytime soon. Perfect. I love it. Gary, super interesting conversation. Thank you so much for your time. If my listeners want to find out more about what you do, if they want to check out your podcast, where can we send them? Uh, Workationing is available on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, and everywhere you catch your favorite podcasts. My business website is Content Fact, the Content Factory. If you Google it, we come up first. <laughs> My name is Carrie DePhillips, and if anybody wants to friend me on LinkedIn, I'm I'm happy to connect.
Perfect. Thank you so much. And I will talk to you soon. Thanks. This episode may be over, but your journey to greatness continues by visiting our webpage and signing up for our newsletter. For convenient access to new episodes, show notes, and other crucial resources, visit expatmoneyshow.com. We look forward to you joining us on the next episode of the Expat Money Show. Safe travels. I have managed to secure exclusive rights to a block of villas in one of the hottest up-and-coming regions in my current home country, Panama. Join me Saturday, May 4th at 10 a.m. Central, 11 a.m. Eastern Time for our special presentation called Investors Workshop, capitalizing on the globally recognized resort brand coming to Panama. We will discuss how the tourism landscape in this region will change rapidly upon the public announcement of this project and how I have secured the rights for my clients to capitalize on this opportunity before anyone else. Thanks to my connections in the region, I have negotiated pricing that front runs everyone else. Think early, early bird pricing. From gourmet restaurants to vibrant clubs, poolside activities, and even live bands, this resort is going to pump some serious life into the region. But this isn't what excites me or what should excite you either. The exciting part is that these world-class amenities and top brand will attract tens of thousands of tourists. Tourists who will fork over top dollar to stay at our investment properties. Register free at expatmoney.com forward slash webinars. That's expatmoney.com forward slash webinars to register for this free real estate workshop. See you on May 4th at 10 a.m. Central Time. That's 11 a.m. Eastern Time. Go to expatmoney.com forward slash webinar.